Hey, this is John Gill with the... I've forgotten what my podcast is called. Hey, this is John Gill with the On The Fly podcast, episode two. This week, it is street photographer Tim Bingham. And I've been following Tim for about a year since Mojo Fest last year. He is an amazing street photographer. As I say in the podcast, he just manages to find character, no matter whether it's a person or a, a building uh, situation. It, he, he's, he's just amazing. He's got an amazing eye. And um, as a sort of a partner piece to episode one, Tim is an Android user. So let it not be said that the house of On The Fly is a biased house. We're happy with Android and Apple, although I do use iPhones. But I uh, have no problem with people who use Android. That would be silly. And Tim is one of them. And, and you know, his, his work speaks for itself. Although, fortunately for the podcast, Tim also speaks for himself. So, um, just very quickly, I never mentioned last week... Uh, So, before we listen to Tim, recommendation, my recommendation, you'll be hearing Tim's recommendations, which to be fair to Tim, I think he had forgotten about at the time of recording, so he plucked them ably from the top of his head, but um, my recommendation for the week is Hunt for the World of People, which is back for free on Amazon Prime. I know not everyone's going to have Amazon Prime, but if you do... Or if you're feeling cheeky and you're going to pay for it because it's not available to you free anywhere, it's worth it. It's a great film, very funny. And family friendly. It's 12. So as long as your family is older than 12, it's family friendly. And song for the week. Last week, I, I feel like an old man because last week it was a 70s track. It was The Who going mobile for Jack, or this week for Tim, still in the 70s. I will endeavour to get out of the 70s. I'm a 70s child. But song for the week this week has to be dedicated to Tim. It is The Kinks and Picture Book. Because, well, I don't want to spoil the ending, but... Well, actually, I'm going to have to... It sounds like he's putting a book out, which he's not. That's the point. He's not putting a book out. But I think he should. And so, if you know Tim, or even if you don't, message him and say, Tim, do a book. You don't need a reason other than you could fill it chock full of great photos. And I don't know why I didn't say that in the podcast. I kind of gave a, a weirdly sort of reason to do it. But um, he's, he's, his photos are inspiring stuff. So, uh, yeah, picture book for Tim. So, uh, thank you for joining again. There might be a little bit at the end, I don't know. I haven't thought of anything yet. Um, but uh, for now, this is John Gill on the On The Fly podcast with Android street photographer extraordinaire Tim Bingham. Thank you.
good single Scottish malt whiskey would be definitely one. That's good for the, you know, a lot of my audience are going to be in Scotland. So that's... Yeah, a good you, Scottish malt, even, even though I live in Ireland. <laughs> um, God, my face fix these things. God. Um, food, obviously. I love different types of food. Um, like anything from a good steak to a traditional Irish, um, you know, the ham and cabbage and flowery studs. Do you, do you cook at all or...? I do cook every now and again, but it's normally um, when I'm on my, it's, 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 it's if I've got the house to myself, I normally buy myself a nice bottle of red wine, a couple of steaks, and um, yeah, that's my evening in by myself. <laughs> I love walking. Um, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a new collie puppy. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he, is, as you can imagine, is very um, energetic. Yeah, we used to have a collie. He was never any different from when we got him as a puppy to, you know, the last couple of months of his life. As he got older, he would still do the bounding thing. Oh, God. And he would sort of okay. bound the window. And, um, but then sometimes he would bound a couple of times and then just stop and kind of stagger away like an old man. Like the old man that he was. <laughs> But he, uh, oh mate, so yeah, I've just got ourselves. So I'm getting out a lot with him at the moment. Um, so I've just taken him into, into the local lakes to sort of try and get him swimming in the lakes as well, a little bit now. So, films as well. I've just got into um, my wife's doing a um, a level nine, which is like a master's on um, on film sets at the moment, about, about designing about designing film sets. Oh, wow, and yeah, and um, we were just talking about saw. We were talking about the influence of Saw Liker and everything like that in the in, in some of the films. Most you know, like um, in some of the films. So I've been looking at some Japanese films recently, and some of the Japanese films have really caught my eye, really caught my attention, and it's actually influencing my photography in a in a way I never thought of. If you were going to recommend film to to kickstart somebody's passion for Japanese films where what would be your oh god um there's a Netflix thing it's called, Sh- I think it's called Shadows um I can say you on the, I can tell you on the details I think it's called I think it's called Shadows but a really really mute it's not quite black and white but the tones in the film are like really really muted my, my photographs now are, are changing rapidly the way I shoot now so um it, that's really having like a I'm trying to shoot more cinematically now. Yeah. Rather than just the um, rather rather than just isolating the isolating the person from the from the crowd, which I've done yeah. for so long now. And is it cinematography that's influencing that, or I think it's cinema. I think it's cine- Yeah, it's definitely cinema photography is influencing. I mean, you know, you sort of when I've been listening to a few different. Uh, podcast. I mean, oh, that's one thing I really do recommend at the moment in, around with the lockdown is podcasts um, for people. That definitely on my, you talk about my favourite things, definitely podcasts without a shadow of a doubt, um, just to inspire you. And obviously, good photography books as well. You know, there's lots out there at the moment. And you don't have to pay, you don't have to buy full price. You can just go onto eBay and buy a good few on there, eBay as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, what so, have, you, have you got a like a favourite po- go-to podcast just now? Oh yes, the Small Voice. Okay. By uh, like Ben Smith. Yeah, he's definitely my go-to podcast for sure. Fuji podcast is very good. You uh, a photographic life as well is is excellent. Um, photography conversations as well. They're all very different, mm. um, but they're the ones I would tend to listen to more. I think what makes a really good podcast is when, and this is why I kind of value these podcasts, is when the people that have been interviewing have actually researched those people. Just because you're a well-known photographer and you might have like 55, 60,000 followers on it on, on Instagram, you suddenly decide you want to make something on to a podcast. It doesn't necessarily make a good podcast, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been listening to podcasts since about since they started really about 2005 and um and they for a while it seemed like they were going out of fashion then all of a sudden massive resurgence and and everybody and his mother's got a podcast um in fact i'm sure my mother's got a podcast and as much as i love podcasts i'm really torn because i love music and podcasts have taken over from me listening to music and and actually during the lockdown, I've probably listened to more music than I have podcasts because I've been doing a lot of audio editing um, for, for uh, training videos and stuff. So I've been able to have soundtracks on in the background, but I couldn't have talking or songs because yeah. I wouldn't be able to concentrate on the, uh, yeah. Yeah. the editing. So you're more likely to put on a podcast than music or... Uh, how it sometimes works, believe it or not, if I'm feeling totally uninspired and I've got a couple of hours, I might start off, off listening to a podcast and then it suddenly inspires me to go and edit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I have to be in the frame of mind for, for editing. I can't edit if I'm not, yeah, if I'm not there, you know, something else is going on. I just don't have to. Plus, I always find that if I'm feeling creative, then my workflow is fantastic. It just works. I don't like being forced to, like when I've done sort of event shoots and stuff like that, you know, spend three or four hours editing all the photos. So I don't, when I edit photos, I edit each photo individually. So I don't what I don't do what some people do is what's called batch, batch edit. Mm. So I don't batch edit because I think every, every, every photograph is different. It's great for editing the photographs, but sometimes if I'm not in the frame of mind to do it, you can sometimes see it, if you know what I mean, in, in the end sometimes you see it in the end result. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, but, back, I used to uh, use Photoshop a lot. And when I learned um, the, the batch function and applying different filters and then applying that sort of, it would, the way it works in Photoshop is just to record what you do on one image and then apply that same process to your other to make copies of them into a folder. and. There are, yeah. You know, if you've if you've shot a lot of photos in near exact same conditions, it's a nice little workaround to have. But like you say, for the kind of stuff, for creative stuff. Yeah, and I think because like, the way I shoot at events, it's more like more like street photography style as well. So it's all going to be very different as well.
Well, talk talk about your your process because I, you know, it's, I'm curious as to how you get the results that you get, whether people are aware or not, and uh, eventually it'd be good to sort of get to thinking about how how it is that uh, you know what happens when you take pictures and people aren't aware. Do you then go and ask for permission after and and that kind of thing? Okay, yeah. Okay, I suppose for a long for a period about two to three years um when i first started it was very much candid photography and very much it was isolating the individual or individuals there's a few shots where i've got like you know i have two or three people in the shot um, basically trying to isolate them from the from the street now to be honest with you it wasn't i didn't actually realize i was doing this it wasn't it was just something that was just happening in my head I don't. I didn't want the businesses of the street. I just wanted that, those particular, that particular action. Um, I don't know. People ask me why. Why were you doing it? It's, it's probably because I'm so interested in people's faces. Because uh, I'm a people person. All my work has been involved. All my work since since I was 16 has always involved people. So. I'd say 99% of my work for about the first two to three years was candid. So for about 2013 up to about 2016, it was all candid photography. Um, so no, I wasn't asking people permission to take their photographs. And no, I didn't actually go up to them and say, I've taken the photograph, do you mind? Um, I suppose I was very influenced by a lot of other photographers at the time. Um, some sort of, and I was, I was going by what they were not necessarily going by what they were doing, but all their sort of candid work and their kind of their street photography and their kind of their own ethics. And it wasn't until about 2016, 2017, I started started the old, my my whole I suppose my ethics started to come into it as well. Um, so in a sense of yes even now i still shoot, shoot candidly like i won't take a photograph of somebody if they're drunk i won't take a photograph if somebody's uh injected drug user uh, and i say that because i actually my my work um i've done my background is actually in research right so i would have i would have worked with a lot of opiate users in in the past but i would have taken their photographs but that's down to consent, etc., etc. So that's different. Um, I won't take a photograph of somebody begging or a rough sleeper um, if we can, if I can see their face. I don't. No need for to me. There's no need for them to be identifiable. Um, and I won't take a photograph. I've always had this thing about taking photographs of people with disability. And I'm always thinking, you know, am I taking the photograph of a person with a disability if they're in a wheelchair or whatever? Is it because they're because they is it because I'm I'm looking at their disability, or is it because the whole frame of the photo? So I don't take people with photographs of people with disabilities. That's my own my own ethics, I suppose, around stuff like that. So there's a lot of pictures on your Instagram, and potentially I could skim through it. And there's me. Um, yeah. And you haven't got my permission. 
and potentially there's a printout there with me on it as well. How do you how do you manage that sort of as a as a business, but also you know, like you say, your your own personal ethics. What's the what's the boundary okay. between asking someone's permission or even retrospectively saying, "I took your picture. What do you think?" Um, how do you, how do you deal with that? I have had people come back to me. I've had quite a few people come back to me and saying, "That's my photograph of your. Uh, that's your, that's your, my photograph on your Instagram page." When to take it, and I said, "Look, I took it." Blah blah blah. Um, and I have had quite a few people saying, "Can I have a copy of it?" And not really sort of seeing anybody's number. Nobody's really come back to me so far saying, "You've taken my photographs, and can you take my photograph down?" Um, I don't take. I would never put up a photograph of anyone if it's going to. Um, Denigrate in any way. I just don't see the point of that. Making money from it, to be honest with you, um, I don't make much money from from street photography at all. Not, it wouldn't necessarily be my. Wouldn't be, I'd love it to be my full time job. It's not my full time job. Um, I suppose now it's interesting because I suppose it's really bizarre because the way I actually got it, why I actually got into street photography, is because of um, research I did many, many years ago where I was doing some research for um, a very, very major city council. And it was a four-month piece of research looking at um, drug use, antisocial behaviour and whatever. And we were, I, wanted, I wanted to bring the narrative, the written narrative and the visual narrative together. And that's kind of how I got into street photography by mistake. So it was a really kind of like, you know, from that piece of research that's got me into where I am now. But I suppose at the time, why I wanted to do street photography, because I actually wanted to go into documentary photography. So I thought, well, if I can learn how to do street photography properly, then that would take me to documentary photography. Um, and that's kind of, I, I sometimes sort of take a step back and say, actually, still, why am I doing street photography now? Um, I think now why I'm doing it is, because I still love it, for me, it's it's almost almost like therapy for me sometimes, where you know I just have to get out of the house or whatever, just go out, get out of the house with the camera and just do whatever you need to do. Um, but twenty seventeen, eighteen, I suppose it was, I started to get bored of candid photography. I was shooting a lot by myself. There was a loneliness about it that I wasn't enjoying. Um, there was also an element of because I'd kind of got into as a byproduct that was supposed to be about 2016, my photography was supposed to be was becoming known in a sense. Um, I'd gone into a couple of major exhibitions, and I was starting to feel in, in a weird way, I was starting to feel the pressure. There was like an expectation on me taking a good shot every week, and so when I went traveling, if I didn't get a good shot, say on a if I didn't get a good shot, if I was in Dublin, for instance, I came home and get really depressed, really angry. I was really sort of internalised the whole thing. So I then decided to take, well, I just left the camera. And I took the six, about six months out, six, six or seven months out, left the camera, just put it down. So, okay, 
if something happens, something happens. Um, and it did really. It was. It was. It was. It was a really. It was a, for me. It was a really useful exercise. Not realised at the time how useful, how valuable that that time out was. Um, you know, there was suddenly an urge that came back into me saying, "I want to go back on the streets," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And at any point, um, are you are you working with a DSLR, or was it always with uh, was it always with the phone? I'd say eighty percent with phone. And it would be twenty percent. It was a Fuji, the Fuji X10. I think it was the first mirrorless camera camera that came out. Okay. Um, so I was doing both. Again, I, for me, they were very co- completely different shooting styles. So I didn't want to sort of box myself in by saying I'm a smartphone photographer or I'm a camera. Ph- I want to be a photographer. And to me, to me, that kind of the, the, my phone is part of my toolkit. You know, it's almost like you know, um, the span is part of a plumber's toolkit. If you know what I mean. So it's yeah. part of, to me, it's part of my toolkit. Um, but because I was on the road a lot, working, the phone was with, with with was with me all the time. So that's why I started taking using the phone a lot more. And to me, it was just go, sometimes you know, I've, I've been work, I'd be working away, and I'd be spending two or three nights away away from home. So I thought I just want to go out on the street and shoot. About 2018, the 27, 2018, I, changed, I suppose I wanted to change the way my photography was going. So I started to um, approach people on the streets and ask, ask them for their photos. And that was complete, for me, that was a complete changer in, um, in the way I shot. Um, one, because I was getting these incredible stories from strangers about, all about their lives. Yeah. Um, it became a very, it became very intimate as well. Became very intimate conversations with people, and sometimes I'd end up going to coffee, you know, end up going to coffee for them. And some of the people I met back then, I'm still friends with now. Um, so, if I look back on my experiences in photography, I can say, shooting raw street portraits, I mean, they're the kind of the, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're incredible memories to have. Um, and also painful memories to have, because I remember there was one guy I shot, like I mentioned, his name's Lee, in Bristol a couple of, uh, about three years ago. Um, he was a big issue seller, and I can say this because he's public anyway. He was a big issue seller, and um, I was down in somewhere Gloucester Road, Gloucester Road in Bristol anyway, and um, I saw him, and I saw another guy there. I just chat. I was with another, I was with a friend of mine, Shelby. And I said, I'd love to go and take that. I'd love to go and speak to that guy. Because he just, he had a really, to me, he had a really interesting face. I think incredible, the most incredible blue eyes I've ever seen on anyone before. Like, it was quite tanned from being outside. So anyway, I chatted away to him. And we really engaged, because I'm, I'm so used to working, you know, most of my life I've, I've worked with, with homeless people anyway. So it's been, just, yeah. It was a regular conversation. Um, but we really engaged. I sat down beside him and I said to him, Was you going to take your photo? And he said, Absolutely not, no problem at all. Um, I saw him again, what was it, uh, last year? I think it was last year, or the year before. Uh, just literally off the chance, and we actually both recognized each other. And I thought, Quite, I haven't seen you for a couple of years. Now you're recognizing me. And we sat down and had a chat, and I thought, Big issue. Um, and what actually happened from that, I found out um, 
towards the end of last year, he'd actually passed away. And uh, it was in the newspaper. It was in the newspaper. A few people actually kind of actually kind of contacted me privately and said, "You should know Lee's passed away." And I was absolutely devastated because I remember the conversations we had. And um, he was an absolutely really nice guy. But anyway, what happened was, yeah, member of it. Representative of his family came back to me and asked me to get a copy of the print, etc., etc. So, for me, it's not getting a shot. For me, it's getting catching like a vulnerability in the person. That's a natural vulnerability in the person that I, I look for when I'm taking a photo of someone. And, it, and that definitely comes across. I mean, um, so I think the the photo you're talking about, is that the one that got used as a magazine cover? No, it's not that. Actually, it was another one. It never actually got, never, I just put it onto my Instagram page because it, it wasn't necessarily good. The one, actually, the one that got used for the magazine, I absolutely, that's an incredible story because uh, the one that got used for the magazine was the Mobiography magazine. And... I remember I was with my daughter at the time and I thought it was a really unusual situation because I'm part, it was getting Bristol. I was passing this, I was passing him and um, I saw this guy talking as a, in a suit, talking to a big issue seller. I thought, that's, that's, that's a great photograph. Guy in a really smart suit, talking to a big issue. That's a really sort of clash of, clash of society, which I thought was complete opposite. So I just actually loved it. So I took the photograph really candidly with my phone. And the guy with the BQC said, did you get my photo then, mate? I thought, how the hell did you see that? So anyway, I went up to him. And I said, look, there's a photo. He said, grand, mate, no worries at all. So we started talking. And it was really, for me, it was, again, it was really interesting because while I was, while I was talking to him, I realized that it's the, the big issue sellers, you know, in, in the communities are part of that community. And he was explaining to me, you know, that he was, you know, he, but because he was part of that community, people embraced his grace, like, I suppose, embraced him in that, in that community. And that really kind of struck a chord. I thought, actually, this is, you know, the whole thing around recovery or whatever it meant for health or whatever, uh, drug use, you know, being part of that community, having your same spot, people recognize you in that community every single day. Is, is 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 major. So anyway, we're having this, this conversation with him. And I said, I bought, bought a big issue from him, and I said, Can I take your photo? I was with my phone, and I came away. I went, Oh my god, how did I get that photo? I still think about it even now. Like you know, 
everything was just so the lighting, the coloring, everything was just absolutely spot on. Yeah. But I suppose I knew then, I knew that was, yeah, I knew in a sense that I'm kind of a good, I was really happy with that portrait. Yeah. Are you, are you a full-time photographer or what, what, what else do you do? <clears throat> no, I'm not a full-time photographer. Um, kind of feels like I am sometimes. <laughs> um, but no, I'm not full-time. I, I, have, I, have a, I have a paid job. I'd, I'm lucky I don't have to rely on it as a as an income I mean I've had the chance to go I've had the chance to go full time um, but I think then you kind of get sucked into doing what everybody else wants you to do yeah you know like I know one guy he's got he got full time after two years ago and he was really he was, his photos were so creative and they were just absolutely off the wall, but there was a, you could see it, you saw a shot of his and you knew it was him. Um, but now he's gone into so much commercial work, you know, taking photographs of buildings. Obviously, he wants to, obviously, it pays money, he's brilliant. But the creativity side for him has, hasn't been allowed to flourish. And obviously, for him, you know, having, you know, you've got, you've got to go where the money is. Uh, and I suppose that's part of me. What I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to do. I don't want to kind of lose that. And I suppose I look. I mean, in a sense, I have a, I have a good balance between work now and photography. Yeah, which is which is the main thing. If you're turning your hobby into a full time job, then there's always the potential that you're you spoil your hobby. I've I've only been freelance for well nearly eighteen months. Um, and I've been fortunate and there's, there's definitely compromises at the moment. The positives outweigh any negatives by a long shot. I was, I was wondering when you do ask for people's photograph, what kind of reactions do you get when you then pull out your phone as opposed to, you know, does any, do, do you ever get that kind of, I mean, I once had somebody tell me, Oh, if, if I'd known you were, you should have told me I could have got you a real camera because um, mm. I set up an interview on my on my phone. Um, you get that kind of reaction, or um, it's 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 fascinating because I was talking to um, I was talking to Suzanne Stein, who's a big New York photographer, on Instagram Live last week, and um, we were just talking about smartphones and photography in general, and. A few years ago, taking your smartphone out would be absolutely no bother at all. Um, in the sense of, I say, look, I explain that I'm a mobile photographer. So I kind of explain what I am. And when I take out my phone, I'm okay. You know, people are kind of okay with it. Um, now, what I'm starting to notice a bit more is that people are more uncomfortable. I don't know if it's just me. People are more uncomfortable around a smartphone than they are around a traditional camera. Ah, it's interesting. Which is to me, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting. I think that it's there's something happening. I think it's I think it's the way society's gone and everything ends up on social media with the way that they're going to put it. Um, so I'm oh, sorry, my dog. Um, it's okay. Um, so yeah, it's an, I suppose it's, it's an it's an interesting the way that's gone is is interesting. Um, I have certain ways of shooting if I am going to shoot someone 
um, as a port, you know, in a portrait. Um, I normally stand back from them at the beginning to sort of you know, to give them their own space, to give them their own space, and then start start, start start talking and moving forward. And I suppose the advantage of for me having a smartphone is I can keep I can maintain maintain eye contact with that person while I'm taking the photo. Yeah. So for me, it's it's a very much more it's a much more intimate experience than if I was on my on my Fuji camera. And so using the example of the one that is just behind you, and we'll link to that one as well. Uh, I, I just love that one. Um, it, it's, he, you know, if, if somebody, if he was a character in a movie, you know, some kind of Irish version of Goodfellas or something, he couldn't be <laughs> more perfect. Um, so, for something as intimate and personal as that, how did you, you know, negotiate that um, relationship with him while you were taking the picture? The guy, the guy with the trilby. Yeah, yeah. Well, did I ask his permission? I suppose it was it was an encounter on the it was an encounter on the street, um, and I kind of really liked the way he was looking. Um, and for him, it was a very that particular encounter was very different in the sense that all oh, you look, I said, you look interesting. Why I take a photo? He said, no, and I took a photo, and that was it. So oh, it wasn't right. necessarily, yeah. So it was a very, very quick, very un, for me, it was a very quick, very unusual encounter. Yeah. Um, I mean, even I'd even say in some ways that was probably all three of those on my wall are all candid photos. Um, I suppose because, in a sense of, I, I always do. I just always say, "What's having expressed here is doing with your feet." So I tend to get very close to people with my phone. Um, I know, as, as you know, for me, there's ways and techniques of taking it, taking. And I suppose it's not trying to trick people out. It, you know, people say, "Well, you're trying to trick people." It's not I'm trying to trick people. I just like the way that person is looking, or at that moment. Don't necessarily go into. If you suddenly say that I, I really like the way you're looking, and suddenly it's at that moment you, you you don't capture that moment of where that person is. You can't capture it. And that that's, that seems to be the trick because I mean, I'm I think I'm kind of I'm in awe in that it is the most uncomfortable thing that I could imagine is going up to somebody, at least with a when I'm doing an interview with somebody there is usually a reason and and same as you i've had lots of really interesting experiences and and conversations because i've got a camera and so it's it yeah. becomes something to hide behind in a way and and it opens me up to all the i mean even the 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 film the the one about the, the projectionist I was. I just wanted to. I, I was. I was in a conversation um, at the cinema about something else with the, with the head of cinema, and she mentioned in the conversation that they had this thirty five millimeter print, and I'd never seen one sort of set up and projected, and and so asking to make the film about it was an excuse to get in the projection room, and actually at that initial point, if nothing had come of the film, 
it wouldn't have been a problem because it was just an excuse to get into a projection room, spend some time with a projectionist, see see it all how it all worked. But actually, um, obviously, a lot more came out of it, and and the film did sort of work but the thing that worked about it was that I didn't take him off into a room to have a conversation with him I just let him do his job and I had a chat with him and that was where the more meaningful stuff happened and you can kind of I don't know maybe it's because I'm seeing it from a different perspective but it seems in a way easier to do that with a video camera because I'm capturing 30 frames a second you're just you're capturing one frame and it's you know, a, a moment in time. And I suppose to some degree it works or it doesn't. Um, it's just that whole process of going up to somebody in the street and saying, I want to take your picture just because rather than can I come into the projection room and do a film because you're a projectionist and that's inherent, that's interesting. And I'm sure, and he loved talking about his job. So that was interesting to him. It'll make sense. Whereas I would have imagined that people are quite suspicious of people wanting to take their photograph on the street for no apparent reason. Yeah, I think people are more aware. I mean, certainly, you know, if it depends, you know, depends what country you go to. So one of the things, one of the tricks I would have done, and I still do, is if I'm taking somebody's photograph, I'm looking at my phone, but I'm also looking away from that particular person. If I look towards that, if I if I do, <clears throat> if if I do um, if I if I maintain if I, I took if I locked eye contact with a person, they would know straight away if I taken their photograph. It's just it's just the way things are. So I tell me tend to look, tend to hold my phone and then look away from look away from the person as if I'm looking towards something else. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of a, a technique I, I, I tend to use. Not so much now because it's like a shooting style is completely different. But certainly in the first in the first um, in the first you know uh, few years, that, that's what I would have done. Yeah, you're on Android, obviously. Any particular? type of phone that you have you used consistently over the years or have you at the moment i've still got the samsung s9 plus years ago i was actually shooting with a um uh, it was a sony xperia z3 and i actually probably actually argued quite easily argued that was probably actually better better camera then and then i've got a few years now see i think a lot of people get mixed up with the megapixels in the in cameras yeah yeah and they don't really, and that's the, that's the problem. If you, if you might have something that's 100 megapixel camera, doesn't mean the photo is going to be any good. So yeah, I've always been Android. Uh, and I think that's because of my own, because of where I work, in the sense of, you know, has, you know, they have an SD card in them. I could quite easy take the phone, you know, stuff, stuff phone straight on, on the PC. Everything for me has kind of interlinks. Um, now, obviously, the, the disadvantage with Android is when it comes to certain 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 apps, and, and you know a lot of the accessories and a lot of, you know, lots of you know, the newer lenses and the ND filters you can get for um, for for you know, app, you know for iPhones. Um, on the other hand, you know, I suppose Android for some people are, are cheap. And I took a, I took a phone. I've got this Samsung with a J 
think it was a J5. And I just took a photo of I just took a photograph of it the other day just to see what it was like. I tell you what, mate, the quality of the photo that came from that this phone was just sensational. Yeah, I definitely I definitely go for look at phones now. I just don't know for I look for I look for phones that will have possibly the the N D filters. Do I use lenses? Not as much I've got a couple of moment lenses. Um, do I use them very much? Not now. Right, okay. I suppose it's because I don't tend to enjoy having to sort of change my sounds stupid, but change my phone cover every time I want to go out go out and just don't like the bulkiness of you know, not the having to carry extra bulk with me. Yeah. Um and I suppose the other, the other thing is well, you know, when you when you when you've got lenses, you you're shooting for that lens. A lot of people say a lot of people ask me, do I am I shooting for the edit or am I shooting for the photo? And generally, I shoot for the photo and look, and look at the edit afterwards, if that makes sense. That's interesting because I've, I've not heard that expression before. Okay, I suppose if you look at if you, if you go back and see also, I suppose the old Kodak films and everything like that, you would shoot for that particular film. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of people still will have an edit in mind when they are taking a photograph. I don't tend to shoot for the edit. Now, if I had to say a moment lens on me, I would be shooting for that lens. Does that yes, make sense? Definitely, yes. So for instance, shoot, so, shoot for a lens, definitely. I've always had a wide angle lens with me, but I used to use this little clip on, which was for for the convenience, it was it was a good quality lens. But um I recently acquired well I, I as part of a prize i got some lenses and i suppose there's there's the element of it being a new thing so that i've enjoyed that and um i've always enjoyed i like wide angle lenses because i i think well it's inherent inherently cinematic because we're used to seeing shots in cinema that are, are using wide lenses so it, it, it's reminiscent of that so then you and then you look for particular things so i suppose if you're shooting people within an environment a wide angle lens might add something that you wouldn't have without it um but equally i've i've been sort of playing with a macro lens sort of uh, at the moment, just with like Lego characters and stuff, just sort of just to play around with them. Because macro lenses I've had in the past are like, you know, you've got to be really, really close. Whereas this is just a nice, just gives you a nice depth of field. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can you can do some creative stuff. But um, so I get that definitely shooting for a lens. It's interesting, I suppose, with something like First Light, I will shoot, not necessarily for the edit, but for the the setting or the filter, for want of a better expression. But yeah, you know, if I I will see very often, you see different things. I mean, we were talking about this in your workshop the other day. But the um, you know, if you put the noir setting on, then you tend to see shadows through the screen that you don't see as obviously with your eye and it just picks up something and then it becomes a different picture altogether. And I imagine in your portrait photography, 
potentially that could have the same type of effect that depending on the setting you choose, then it, you might pick up a different kind of vibe in, in the picture. Yeah, it was amazing because I know that when the first light, sorry, when the Filmic Pro team came to me and asked me, would I mind having a filter being named after me? I was like, I'm not sure about this. So it was like, okay, so can I look at the filter? And I was like, the Bingham filter, you know, it's, that, that's, it's, the, it's the Bingham filter. I was like, okay, I'm not sure about this, but yeah, it's great. But, but for me, it was, it was interesting because they really, they really captured how I shot portrait, back of my portraits in that filter. So I know if I shoot in that filter, I don't literally, I don't have to do any edits. <laughs> very, very few edits. It's just like, okay, that's how I shoot. Fine, great. Um, it, and it, how it, did it was, that come about? Because to be honest, I, that was a question that I had. I, I felt sure that, you know, someone was going to say, oh no, that's, that's named after Lord Bingham of Binghamsworth, who was this sort of, so how did that come about that, um, they just presumably they just like your photographs and and that became an inspiration yeah for I suppose them. because uh, yeah it was it's weird because I didn't think you know when I, was being, when, I was, when I was doing the sort of black and white photography I didn't think any person I didn't think anything of it I was just taste, taking them and I was editing them in a certain way um, at the time and yeah they you know they spoke to me contacted me so I mean we really like the way you you, you edit your photos and whatever. Do you mind if we copy how you edit your photos and um, use it as a filter? And I was obviously like, I was really flattered because it's something that, you know, especially the, especially the filmic, especially the filmic pro guys, you know, just. No, that's cool. That's, that's, I mean, that's amazing that you got that filter. Um, and like I say, the, the, that app is so good. Um, it's the app that I, I knew I wanted. A, I knew Filmic Pro was so good that why haven't they done the same for still photography that they've done for video? And then when it came out, it was like, well, I, that wasn't what I thought I needed, but it absolutely is. And um, yeah, I mean, actually, Bingham, uh, Noir, and um, the infrared red filter are like my yeah. go-to filters with that because it's just it just changes how i take photographs um yeah it's i think i've tried to well, i'm trying to challenge myself a bit more now by actually not using those filters and actually trying to use other filters now you know like that is it, is it the blueprint one yeah cyan yeah and just using that and a few others like and um yeah it's just yeah i think it's, i think the great thing about first light is, you know, as I said in the workshop, this is, is that you can be really, really creative in it. Yeah. And it just I mean, allows... very, very quickly, I know um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up, but um, just in, with regards to using a mobile, do you ever feel, do you ever feel limited by the mobile at all? Yes. Yeah, I do. I think that's, I think in some respects, if I'm taking, I mean, there are certain shots I've got on my Fuji that I would have never got on my mobile. But what's really interesting as well is when I'm shooting, say, I tend to fly to London for a day from, to go my day out in London. So I get the three, leave my house at three o'clock to get the half past five, I think it's half past five, quarter to six flight to London. And I fly back that night to get home about 12 o'clock that night. Wow. 
and um, I love it. Just, it's just, yeah, it's just fantastic. But it's just me and my camera. Um, but I shoot, when I go to London, 90% of the time, well, 99% of the time, I'll be, I'll be shooting with my camera rather than with my phone. It's complete, I don't know why. Um, yeah, I think that, I think obviously having the, obviously having, you know, that you can change the, um, the f-stop on the, um, you know, the aperture and everything on the, on the, on the, um, on the camera makes a big difference. Um, I still think that the, some of the lenses, I mean, some of the lenses I use are kind of the, some of the antique lenses now, and you would not, yeah, you could just couldn't get those shots with a phone. It's impossible. Um, I think also the fact that uh, because I generally use a thirty-five, I generally use a thirty-five mil, um, thirty-five mil lens or Helios forty-four-two lens. I think it's a fifty-six, um, and it's just a different feeling altogether. I think. I mean the phone. You know, the phone is brilliant. It does. It does. You've seen that. You know, I can still blow a photo up from my phone into an A1 photo. No bother at all. Mm. Um, and the quality is still not. It's still. You know, you wouldn't know the difference. Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and a, and a probably a, a Fuji shot, if you know what I mean. In a sense, once it's blown up, <clears throat> it's really. Um, so it does have its limitations. Um, but so on the other on the other hand, carrying a, carrying the camera, carrying a Fuji camera with me, you know, in a sense would also have its limitations. In a sense, I would have got shots with my phone that I would have never have got with my cam my Fuji camera. So because yeah, if you're if you're holding yeah. up a camera, then people know you're taking pictures. Whereas, lots of times, if I'm taking something candid, then I'm not necessarily, to, as far as anybody else is concerned, I'm not necessarily taking a photograph. I could be reading a, a magazine or any number of things, which yeah. I think is one of the one of the benefits. You can sort of be undercover a little bit. Yeah, uh, I suppose. I suppose. I suppose with the camera. I suppose with the camera as well. You've always got. You've got different. You obviously have manual settings and whatever. You can under with the food. You can still under, under expose by one or two, one or two stops as well. So you can capture stuff that you would never. With, with a phone with, that you couldn't catch with a phone about like I say vice versa as well yeah uh so last thing then what what are you is there anything you know if there was a wish list for the android people google people filmic people um you know what what are you hoping for what would you like to see happening in the next year or two with regards to your mobile photography anyway I would like. Uh, I think. I think going back to what you were saying right at the very beginning, you were talking about. You were talking about um, that iPhones are more popular than you know than Androids, and I think one of the reasons behind that is because iPhone have been done done absolutely what amazing job at being the hashtag shot on iPhone. Um, I would really love some company like Samsung or somebody to come out and say shot on Samsung. And do it have an android version of of a cop of that competition uh, i know that um hawaii have done something similar you know they tried to do that hawaii have done that but personally i'm not a hawaii i'm not a fan of hawaii for a number of reasons um but 
yeah, if they can do it, I think other brand, other other brands, other brands can do that. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd like, in a sense, the sensors to be a lot, a lot, a lot better in the phones. Yeah, there's obviously, I mean, storage issues. I mean, I mean, I'd obviously like, I'd love the prices to come down. Because as soon as you sort of go up to, to a sort of 256 gigabyte phone, you're sort of like talking about, you're talking to go into thousands. So obviously, if the, if the way the prices could come down or whatever, it would be great. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I think the I think the problem is for for mobiles now is that you could get a really for buy if you want to say price of an iPhone or or even a Samsung S twenty if you buy that outright you could buy a really really good um, mirrorless camera with a couple of lenses for the same price. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's where the kind of I suppose that's where the balance has to kind of stay. You, you, you know, people aren't always going to be able to afford the latest the latest gear yeah and actually there's um, lots of people demonstrating that you don't need the latest gear because they're doing great stuff with a phone that's two three years old because i think if you if you i think if you chase the latest thing you're you you you're never going to be satisfied apart from anything else i'm kind of happy at the moment i'm kind of happy the way things are with phones i don't mm. think we can ultimately yes there's stuff you can do with sensors Yes, there's more probably more products can come online. I think well, I think the, I think that one of the I suppose for look, for Android, yeah, there's certain certain apps you I would absolutely love to see happen. Mm. Um, you know, more kind of. Well, maybe yeah, we some, just some, need some, the Bingham photo competition. Uh, <laughs> shot shot with Bingham, and uh, perhaps yeah. <laughs> Because actually, because I mean, that's I think that's the thing that's that's missing more than anything, and, and one of the motivations for doing this is just to sort of, you know, the the community is really well served, and you know even things like the mobile summit and and you're doing workshops online and um, there's workshops popping up all the time now, especially we've been forced into it with with you know this lockdown, but um, it's just you know there's so many people walking around with these amazing devices and. They're no, they're just glorified telephones still, whereas there's so much creative yeah. stuff that you can do with them, and um, it would just be great for people to be more aware of, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you're doing. And have you any plans to do like a book or something like that? I mean, it seems to be, I mean, you've got an, you've got a filter named after yourself, surely. Um, I've thought about a book, but that's. Um... <laughs> that's my wife in the background i'll edit i'll edit that out I, sorry yeah yeah edit that laugh out yeah he's, <laughs> he's alive um no i have thought about a book um but i think i had a i had a i had an exhibition a couple of years ago that a lot of involved a lot of those prints and i'll send the link to it um that was a massive step it was a real kind of like yeah it was a, for me it was a really brave move yeah I think if I was going to do, um, if I was going to do a book, it would have to be, it would have to, yeah, I'm not ready to do it. I'm definitely not ready to do a book at the moment. Yeah. I've thought about it. The fact that I'm thinking about it is something obviously there, but yeah, no, not at the moment. I think, I think where my heart, I think where my heart really lies at the moment is, is engaging with, um, with, um, with communities that are kind of marginalized. Yeah. And allowing, the, you know, I suppose, get them to embrace the whole what you can actually do with the camera, and get them to do their own storytelling. That's kind of yeah. where my heart lies at the moment. I suppose if I did a book, I'd have to ask myself, why am I doing a book? 
not convinced at the moment. Yeah. No, well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, one of my drivers is enabling people to tell their own stories with the devices they've got. And, um, you know, sometimes there's, there's plenty of stuff that can come out of that. And maybe, maybe in the future, um, a book would be one of them because that can be equally as inspiring. So I think that that's as good a reason to do a book as anything for you. But, um, Oh, well, it's been great to chat to you. Thank you for your time. And um, we'll put links to whatever you've got coming up next. Just get people checking out your photos and um, hopefully getting inspired to do their own stuff. Cool. Thanks, John. Just want to say that I am setting up a, um, as of last night, we're setting up a um, Zoom group for photographers. And the whole idea is that this Zoom group, at the moment, it's, the whole idea is to run it weekly um it's really just uh other photographers to support other photographers especially at the moment because there's so much you know it's probably so many recently who are having a really hard time of it yeah um so i thought we just sort of set up some sort of they can support each other it's not even though i've set it up it's not my group it's the group's group if you know what i mean yeah so we'll just see what comes from that cool excellent yeah cool thanks a lot john take care